this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. Really excited about this. I have Jeff Booth with me today. He is the author of The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to an Abundant Future. We are going to be talking a lot about uh, what's happening out there in the world as there's a massive change, in my opinion, and in many others, from a technological side, but also because of COVID and what's happening with society and our economic systems. So there's a lot to unbundle here, and we're going to have a great conversation with Jeff. But if you could, Jeff, what we'd like to do before we get too far deep into the woods is just a quick background. You've been heavily involved in the technology sector. You are a leader who has lived at the forefront of technology, changed for over 20 years. You uh, led Build Direct, a technology company that aimed to simplify the building industry for nearly two decades through the dot-com meltdown. I remember that really well. Uh, the two days, 2008 financial crisis, I remember that one really well, and many waves of technological disruption. So if you could just give us a little bit of color about how this all came about, and and then we'll talk about the book and about some of the features there. Sure. Well, first, David, thanks, thanks a bunch for having me. Um, and when you say come about, do you mean specifically the technology background or? Yeah, what, what led you into this whole world of technology and disruption and, and really kind of what framed your mindset to do what you were doing? I, I've always been an entrepreneur, so always looking for better ways to solve problems. And uh, the, the building company or the technology building company actually came out of, I, I had a building company before that and I failed to deliver the house on time. Uh, and I had to put the family up in a hotel and the fur uh, furniture and storage. And, and I was pissed. Uh, and I thought, how, how can an industry work like this where you actually have this type of pain? Um, it worked, it, and I wasn't in control of the situation. People let me down and, this, and the project plan uh, escaped on, on me. And I just thought, this is such a broken system. I have to fix this system. So that's really the intersection of starting kind of a technology career was how do I use technology to be able to solve a problem so to be able to help people. And that expanded through 20 years of, uh, of that companies, ups, downs, everything you learn from with uh, driving a company at the forefront uh, um, of technology, of where technology is going, the people you meet and everything else that expanded to, many other technology companies and just having a view of how fast technology is changing the systems in the world we live in. And would you say, you know, obviously with relation to Moore's law, but would you say versus 20 years ago, plus the ability to build technology or build a platform and to lever SaaS and to lever the cloud and to lever all of the things that we have now available to us in, in the tooling space for you know Web 1 and Web 2, and obviously now Web 3, we'll get to that later. But would you say it's a lot easier today than it was obviously 20 years ago? <laughs> the first, uh, it took two years and $5 million to deliver our first web website, which handled transportation, logistics, logistics, payment, everything else. $5 million, two years, to and, and a whole bunch of people to be able to create that. That same technology, you could, you could do a Shopify instance for $50 a month today. And so 
the rate change or the step change and when people talk about web one two three it's just it's it's just a continuation these are just different names that are put on something that is advancing at an exponential pace um and that technology that 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 abundance and the cost decreases and the abundance that comes with it is all around us we just don't see it because we're living in a system that we don't see it agreed and so Let's talk about the book. As I mentioned, The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is a Key to an Abundant Future. You know, writing a book is something that many people try to do and some people are very successful at, but there's always a lot of work that has to go into it. It's not something that happens overnight. And so their inspiration must have come over the last few years. What really inspired you? Is there a specific point in time that inspired you to start writing the book? So, so it was actually probably ten years in the making, and and I, if I'm being honest, I never wanted to write a book. I, I, I had no interest. No, I didn't need author on a title. Had no interest in being an author. Um, it, it was it was almost like the the startup in, in the technology space. I felt compelled to. I was talking about something over and over and over again, and. And I, and I figured other people would start talking about it and see the, see the connection. And when nobody did, it just, I, I, got, I got mad. I, I said, the future that my children are going to grow up in is going to be a very different world than the one I grew up in. Um, and it's not going to look, it's not going to have the same opportunities unless we do something about the system. And, and so, so that's what compelled me to write the, the, the book. Uh, and, and so, yeah. Yeah, and that, that is sorry, and that that started in um, two thousand nineteen. So 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 January of two thousand nineteen. I said, okay, I'm I'm writing this book, and and and, and just went for it. Right, ten years in the making. Though that's that's a hell of a long time. Um, lot to think about in that ten years, and lot to see in that ten years. Um, I love this quote. You know, this is something that I caught, and I want to dig into this. So you said something to the effect of, I wrote this book because I grew tired of the insufficient debate on the root causes of events happening around the globe. Inequality, polarization, and uprisings are predictable second and third order effects of technology visibility impacting our world. Most of the conversation is spent on these issues without realizing the underlying driver. Now, I've been kind of annoyed over the last few months all these pundits on TV have called COVID a exogenous shock. They called it a black swan event. I have debated the merits of that. And it kind of drives into some of these things that you're talking about, that things are happening around us, but we really just don't seem to be paying attention to it. The data is there in many of these cases, whether it's something bad, like a global pandemic or something good. Um, And so we'd love to hear kind of what your opinions are about these exogenous shocks, these swan events, uh, as it relates to you know, kind of what you talked about—the root causes of events happening around the globe, you know, especially with regards to inequality and polarization and uprisings. Um, so, so I'll start kind of the thesis of the book, um, and 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 kind of go to COVID from there. But um, but the thesis of the book says technology is deflationary. It's, and it's a deflationary force so great that nothing is going to stop that. Um, and if you actually just pull on that string and if you just, and, and I would say um, 
for people to in, um, investigate that 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 thought, right? Moore's law, all of the technological advances, investigate it around you. Look at your cell phone, the abundance that comes in your cell phone, mostly free, um, compared to what, what a cell phone cost 20 years ago, and it only made phone calls. Um, that abundance is everywhere and it's moving into every single industry. So if you if you if technology is moving into every industry at blinding speed, and now you're adding to that artificial intelligence and everything else, it seems logical to think that we should get that same abundance more for less everywhere. And and if that's logical, um, then then it for it forces a question: Why isn't that happening? Because because it doesn't feel like that is happening everywhere. The mm-hmm. price of food is going up, housing is going up, education is going up. And there's a whole bunch of is moving into a, your podcast, a base layer of everything we do, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and so, so why isn't it? When you, when you investigate that separately, the only reason that that's not happening is monetary policy trying to stop it trying to stop deflation at any cost because mm-hmm. we grew up and we grew up with deflation being a bad word yep. right we um and 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 if you remove the emotion from deflation right why is it a bad word when your currency gets more valuable goods and services get lower in cost right and and, and your currency goes up in, mm-hmm. in relation like that doesn't seem like something that's inherently bad Right, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just bad for some people. It's bad for, it's bad for, or it's bad for some asset classes, and it's bad for it. So if you have a whole bunch of debt, and you have deflation, then the real cost of the debt explodes in value because it gets harder and harder to pay back. Mm-hmm. So so it's not good or bad, but we grew up thinking it's bad, and we have a system with an enormous amount of debt. And central banks all over the world are trying to outrun deflation with by by essentially first massive creation of debt and lower mm-hmm. interest rates. Second, um, when that won't work, more debt. When that won't work, more and more and more debt. When that won't work, debase the currencies. That's effectively the path that we're there were that we're on. And so. I'm curious. So you mentioned something. I was listening to you speak about deflation and technology, and about let's just take you know, for instance, you know, as you mentioned, the the iPhone uh, that I use that other people use out there. You know, the parts in there are not you know incredibly expensive. There's rare earth, and you know, obviously the phones and some other different you know kind of switches and semiconductor pieces in there. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, does it actually should it be I think they charge over a thousand dollars, you know, per phone now these days. Is it purely because Apple is a publicly traded company that has fiduciary responsibility, and has investors that they are responsible for, and then they have to obviously try to enhance their profits as much as humanly possible? So, so that's if they can charge that for a new phone, and people will pay it, they should charge that. And, and so that's where some people mistake deflation, like it looked in the 30s, where everybody would wait um, and you'd create a deflationary spiral compared to technological deflation that's happening today. When uh, when a new iPhone comes up, there's a, a, there's a lineup around the block to buy it. 
right? So mm-hmm. it, at whatever cost, I could go buy last year's phone for 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 probably fifty dollars a month on uh, on a plan mm-hmm. and have all of that abundance effectively for fifty dollars a month. My camera, my uh, uh, my information, my maps, my my virtual assistant. Now, every every year it gets better, and it costs less. Mm-hmm. So that the new one comes out, they should, so as a business, they should try to drive that as, as, as high as they can, as high as consumers could pay, pay for it. If you think about the inflation adjusted price, right? So if you, if the, the, um, the real cost, the real cost has fallen. Hmm. That's really interesting. And, and so as it relates to this idea, as I mentioned before, it seems that things are happening around us. Technology is obviously has been going at light speed. You know, with Moore's law, we are, you know, at one point we were celebrating the the mapping of the genome, and now, you know, as it relates to COVID, within a matter of days, if not hours, they were able to look at the genetic sequencing of the virus and start coming up with vaccines back in late January, early February. And so it seems that the speed of technology um, has gone kind of, you know, we've been a little bit blind to it. But do you think that speaks to a broader kind of thesis that maybe, and I've said this before, as a society, and I know we're getting a little philosophical here, but I think you can handle it. I think as a society, we've become apathetic to things that are happening around us. We are just a little bit kind of dare I say, just ignorant to the things that are happening around us. Do you agree with that? We're frogs boiling in a pot, right? We don't understand that the heat's being turned up and, and then the next thing happens. Oh, that's just a little bit hotter. And we just don't notice. So, so most people won't invest. You, you build your foundations of knowledge and you stack knowledge on top of those foundations of knowledge. And when patterns match your foundation of knowledge, you look, you, you, People, um, we look for things that match what we believe, mm. and we reinforce those beliefs. So, so questioning things that are at a base of knowledge, like I question in the book, like we're questioning on this, it, it's really hard for people mm-hmm. because because it be, um, it, it's it's like not speaking Spanish and, uh, and 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 walking in one day and everybody speaking Spanish, it, it, like it just it doesn't compute, right? right? And so so. And some of the rules become opposite to the ones you think that the way the, way the world works. So, so it's really difficult to accept those things, um, and and therefore, you 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 keep on. Okay, well maybe that is the way it works. Maybe that is the way, and you just keep on. And, and what creates the apathy mm-hmm. is that. It's interesting because it sounds a little, you know, I'm sure you've read Howard Marks before and Howard talks about second level thinking. I always kind of equate it. If everyone's jumping into the pool, Howard would say, well, wait a second, maybe, you know, if everyone's jumping into that pool, maybe that pool is not that good. Maybe you should be looking elsewhere. Um, And then also, if you think of people like Danny Kahneman, uh, Danny has written about, you know, kind of departmentalizing of one's brain into two parts where the first, you know, kind of A is the quick responses and B is typically the much more thorough kind of in-depth, you know, kind of second level thinking. It seems that we are all, you know, disregarding second level and just using that kind of first process of our brain. Is that, would you agree? 
Daniel Kahneman's book, uh, Thinking uh, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, should be required reading. It's just it's a fantastic uh, yep. book. But uh, um, but um, thinking in first principles and, and um, so that you you don't get trapped is that critical thinking skill is really important in times like this or in times like these. Um, so uh, it's hard to say we are to uh, everybody does this because everybody doesn't do it. Some people do do it better than others. Um, and so I, I wrote the book and you, you know, from re- reading it, I walk through a whole bunch of these principles so, uh, to, uh, because they happen and if I go back to Daniel Conan's book, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, what surprised me, I read that a long time ago, but what surprised me in, in, in the book is how often I was fooled. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's what made me love the book because I realized if I can get fooled like that, then it must be happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I need to think about the way I think. And, the, and, 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 and so, uh, so those types of things create a different level of thinking in people. And if, if more people did that, yes, you'd have, you'd have better answers. You'd have better debate. I agree. And that's kind of when you think of the commons or you think of prediction markets that rely on the masses, I've always had a little bit of, and I think this has been something of a problem for other people, you know, is that when you rely on the commons, you're dealing with a lot of information bias and you're dealing with a lot of issues that are presented because they're not using their, you know, kind of second level principles out there. So I want to switch into some opinions. You talk about uh, technologies and specific ones that are uh, positively affecting society. And so it's interesting. I want to, there is a Brookings article uh, from about two years ago. For the first time since agricultural based civilization began 10,000 years ago, the majority of humankind is no longer poor or vulnerable to falling into poverty. By our calculations, again, this is Brookings, just over 50% of the world's population of some 3.8 billion people live in households with enough discretionary expenditure to be considered middle class. And so you go into depth about discussing global inequality. So without saying that Brookings is wrong or other you know data sources that talk about this, do you think there's a, a, a gap here? Is there a bridge that's just not being kind of driven across when we talk about seeing more people coming out of poverty into middle class, but we also see this massive inequality gap continue on? So, so yes, and you've read it in the uh, again, again in the book, and I discuss uh, this thoroughly. The, the, you lift three point six billion people out of poverty. The, just the look at what China did alone, right? And and how fast now China added a lot of debt, the fastest growth of debt to GDP that's ever happened to be able to create that uh, that. Um, but if you look at what's happened in China, billions are taken out of poverty, and that's happened globally. So, so yes, globalization and what's happened so far to get us here has actually been generally positive. Now, I'm sure that the person in the U.S. Um, that is making $30,000 a year right now and can't pay for things that are rising in price because of manipulating monetary policy and they're rising in price and they can't afford a home and rents are going higher and they can't afford food and they're too, a paycheck away from, from dropping off the this, this system. Don't feel really good about um, 
oh, but in but in uh, Africa now, people, somebody's making five dollars a week, and and they they can eat, right? So, so, so yes, um, so far, more um, so far, looking backwards, globalization has been a great thing for uh, uh, for for the world. More people out of poverty um, by any measure. Mm-hmm. Looking forward, looking forward, if you're just manipulating currency to be able to get there, it will not look like that. Mm-hmm. So I haven't read that specific article, but looking forward on the technology on the technology path we're on, mm-hmm. it will not it uh, it will not look like that. And so, are there any current technology platforms verticals that you feel that are actually benefiting? a wider audience instead of obviously, you know, as you mentioned, monetary uh, manipulation. Is there any technologies out there that you're kind of looking at or spending time that are actually helping broad-based society kind of rise up? I, I'd say I, I can't go into every single company on this um, on this podcast. But no, if of course you, not. If, if you went to so some of the ones I'm involved with, if you went to Jeff, uh, jeffreybooth.com, you can see some of the ones I'm involved with. I wouldn't be involved in a company unless it did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the companies that I'm involved with, one of them went, we projected $40 million in, in uh, April, and, it came, and, and, uh, and that was up 40 times from the year before. We thought it was aggressive, and it came in at $86 million. Uh, in, in April, so um, so yes, most of the technology founders I did, all of the technology founders I, uh, I I help and advise and, and work, they're starting their companies to be able to impact society in a positive way, mm-hmm. and and COVID has been an accelerator, right. um, a massive accelerator. If you look at Zoom alone. Right, the video conferencing app we're using, mm-hmm. ten million participants or ten million users to three hundred million uh, users in in a period of a month and a half. Yep, that's one video platform, um, and and everybody goes, "Wow, look at Zoom stock price!" And it, w- w- what's happened there? What they don't ask is every one of those additional uh, participants um, that is probably not going back. It's not going to go from three hundred million back to ten million. Mm-mm. So a certain amount of those users are not going to be using commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. And if you look and if you looked at commercial real estate kind of a, as a price per seat, which it is, right? De- supply demand mm-hmm. equation, um, then you realize commercial real estate has to fall by a ton because there's less uh, there, there's less demand on it. Mm-hmm. And 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 if um, if the new essentially super highways are all digital digital in nature they're expanding at a rate that's crazy but something has to fall at the same at a corresponding rate i agree and i have seen the sub growth from 10 to 300 million i've talked about that and you're right about create about commercial real estate that you know in the great state of new york that i'm currently in you know, there is a lot of debate about when we can actually start going back to work in those buildings. And to be quite honest with you, it's drawing to be a consensus that that's not going to be for a while. And even when things start to dissipate that I think a lot of people realize, especially big companies, we can actually be effective working from home and not have to spend 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 thousand dollars a month you know, to, to, you know, lease out, uh, this, this, this property. And well, so you saw, you, you saw what, uh, Twitter did. 
Right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody for forever can now work from home. That's right. right. Think of what that does uh, on on, but but not just because most of those employees are now in San Francisco, right? Um, now they can hire in South Carolina at the same rate as San Francisco, but but the pay the pay is very different in South Carolina. So so this this has long term consequences, um, benefits and consequences on on how we think about work. Yep. So in addition to work, also you talk about currency. And so this has been in the news lately. The global macro uh, trader and investor, Paul Tudor Jones, we've talked a lot about him on the show, wrote a letter with the former deputy director of the IMF, Lorenzo Giorgiani. And in that letter, he, at the very first or second paragraph, talks about how we have been printing magical amounts of money, uh, or he's been saying it was magical money, basically, from thin air. And as we know now, it's been over $6 trillion that we here in the United States have been putting into uh, stimulus. And there is another $3 trillion. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Jason Williams from Morgan, uh, Morgan Creek. Uh, he, he made a funny tweet today. It really wasn't that funny. He was watching the show Billions, and he said, you know, it kind of felt a little old because no longer are we thinking in billions, everything is now trillions. And so I'm curious, you know, in terms of the value of currency and the what I considered the destruction, the destructive value of currency based off of the printing that we're doing right now, what are you, if you are, are you, I know you've been on some other uh, Bitcoin-related podcasts, what are your opinions on, you know, Bitcoin as it relates to a hedge to all of the, you know, kind of destructive things that we're doing right now? So, so first, David, I love it. And, and yes, I'm an investor and, and would never sell. Um, so, so, so I love Bitcoin uh, for, for that. If I could spend a minute, and this is hard to do in, in a minute, but if you think about what's uh, what's happening with the global reserve currency being the U.S. dollar, mm-hmm. and what's happening globally on this pandemic, and and how much debt is in the world mm-hmm. around, U.S. is actually still, um, in in relative terms, stronger than a whole bunch of other uh, currencies, and a whole bunch, and because prices are denominated in the U.S. currency. A whole bunch of other uh, uh, businesses and everything else that have loans in, current, in the U.S. currency are, are are almost selling anything to try to gain the U.S. currency, um, and and so that's making the U.S. currency stronger. At the same time, you have had like a massive hole cut into GDP, not just growth. And if you assume you need growth and inflation to pay back the debt and the debt's already too high and you're not getting growth and inflation, you have to fill that hole. So today, the Fed, by essentially printing, it's not, it is printing, but it's not printing the way way we think of it. They're actually, there's still a function that they're saying, we're going to take bad assets off your balance sheet. Mm -hmm. And, and and lend you at low, almost, we're going to give you new capital. And then later on, when prices go up, we're going to sell those bad assets. So we're going to take our balance sheet back down. Um, so it's not printing in the general sense right now, but, but that whole concept that we're talking about destroys capitalism. 
And, and here's what, here's why. So, so you've set up a system where let's use the, let's use the, um, the airlines as an example, but it's just one example. You've set up a system where you've essentially said, um, Federal Reserve and, and other and other governments around the world has essentially said, we are going to penalize you for holding cash. Mm-hmm. We're going to have really low interest rates, and effectively, if you hold cash, if you don't spend it, we're going to penalize. The market is going to penalize you because we're destroying the value of cash. Fair. Mm-hmm. And then. So instead of holding, instead of holding cash, those those airlines will do stock buybacks and everything else mm-hmm. because you've incented them to do that. Right? You've created a market system, a structure to do that. And then, when there's any blip, now COVID's a bigger blip, but any blip requires you to do massive bailouts because otherwise they fail because they're on the edge of the thing. And so now. Now you take off their bad bad debts and you put them on the Federal Reserve uh, uh, balance sheet and you give them fresh money. Well, when you do that, you destroy capitalism because nothing fails. Mm-hmm. Prices don't come down. But, but because prices are artificially high and you've created, uh, you've socialized the losses and created a whole bunch of winners by socializing the losses, um, you also have to bail out a whole bunch of people. You have to also give a whole bunch of people more on the bottom class, right? Or people that have been left out by society because you artificially raised prices in the first place, right? So if you think about the, the $2.3 trillion that was moved from junk bonds effectively onto the commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. Right? So now all of, all of that commercial real estate is artif- it doesn't have to fall in price right now. And people and entrepreneurs and people that are renting and everything else have to pay artificially high prices. And and so you don't get a cleansing of the system. You've created so much waste in the system right. as a result of that. So that byproduct, what we just talked about there, is what creates the divide of society. Right? A massive divide of society. Mm-hmm. The next the next step um is what's going to what is going to happen first. But but that that um that is not effectively printing is effectively the Fed still believes or, or is making up that they are eventually going to pay that back. Right. And the balance sheet is going to contract. That won't work either. Right. Um, and, and that's what we're talking about at some, at some point they're going to debase their current, the currencies and all, and, 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 and the rules of how currencies function all over the world going to be broken and and so that's why bitcoin is going to is going to be a really big beneficiary of that and it's interesting as you know and as everyone acknowledged the fed came out about two weeks ago saying oh by the way we need to borrow three trillion dollars um and i always like to say when you say the word borrow borrow does not mean you're just going to get the money and then run borrow means you have to pay the principal and you have to pay a yield on top of that so it will continue on for you know for a very long period of time and so that is not just a free lunch it is something that we will be paying back and as you correctly state um that will have consequences i also think it's interesting um going back to howard marks again it's really interesting just about two days ago he was on Bloomberg's air and talking about this very same issue, and he said, those of us in the markets believe that stocks and bonds are selling at prices they wouldn't sell at if the Fed were not the dominant force. And so to your point, the removal of risk is basically what I believe has happened, and I think you do too, correct? 
correct. Right. So, so in Soviet Union and in, in, in Russia, uh, they set up a system where nothing failed. Right. That's what that's what we're creating. Okay, don't worry. We have capitalism, but but we'll socialize the losses every time that uh, something happens. And 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 then we point to COVID or the housing crisis in two thousand eight or or pick pick a poison. Everybody talks about the th- the the second thing that happened instead of the debt create that created it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're doing again. We we're creating a system, and, and so we're solving that all around the world. People are thinking we're going to solve the debt problem by creating way more debt. Doesn't sound very logical. I have a question. Um, as you are a technologist and someone who's been around platforms for a very long period of time, you just brought up 2008-9. Obviously, in 2008-9, when TARP was coming around, you had Occupy Wall Street. You had you know some of those efforts. But we really didn't have the efficacy of Twitter and some other social media platforms. TikTok is obviously blown up, too. Do you think this time is different also because of social media platforms like Twitter and TikTok and some of the other ones out there that can kind of give the voices out there a larger megaphone? Um, maybe. Um, I think I, I think right now in, in where we are right now in the first inning of this crisis unfolding and, and, and a whole bunch of people getting paychecks and, and people might have more money than they had before and businesses aren't failing and everything else. I don't think we've seen anything yet, right? It, that can't go on, right? Why, why America has to get back to work and everything else. The, the amount of cost and what this looks like, there's just not enough money to be... And eventually technology is going to take that anyways, right? There is not... And this is the real rub, David. Technological deflation is going to happen no matter what, Right? And trying to stop that from happening just actually creates more of a divide for society because you you buy all of the what what's happening and Occupy Wall Street was a small part of what's what's happening now it's going to get way bigger. You're enriching others some at the cost of others, mm-hmm. and 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 why inequality is at all time highs is because of that. And and but technology isn't slowing down; it's advancing at at, at, at a pace that is. it's hardly you can't comprehend how fast it's moving Mm -hmm. and and so so that and that technological deflation or technological progress which is deflationary in nature is going to 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 move faster and faster if you think about the jobs and and what's happening even in uh, as as technology moves faster it's less jobs and so, building a building a, uh, a monetary system and, and that requires growth to be able to pay back debt forever and ever and ever mm. against a bigger force that is making things cost less um, is not. It, it's going. It it, it won't work. Mm-hmm. So it's just how we get there, and and the more printing that goes on. And the more we dislocate society because of it, the the more creation of, uh, unfortunately, wars, revolution, and everything else uh, in uh, on that path, because you essentially divide society by doing it. And there is one of the reasons why many people are especially taking a finer look finally at Bitcoin, um, and as a alternative, I've always liked to say that you know. 
and people equate different things. You know, we were having a joke, uh, Jeff and I, before recording that on Twitter, again, everyone was having a bit of a, a funny time with the preeminent author, J.K. Rowling. And I even got involved a little bit of that, too, because she wanted to understand what Bitcoin was. And I said, you know, basically, I provided a simile, she called it, a, met a metaphor and a simile, where I said, one does not buy fire insurance with the hopes that your house burns down. You buy it because you hope that it doesn't and you never have to use it. And that if it does, then you are protected. And I said, instead of thinking about your house in this particular instance, Bitcoin is basically fire insurance for economies and governments at scale around the world. And so that is kind of the way I think of it. I think that's the way a lot of other people think about it. But it, it obviously is something for everyone. But for me, and I think especially after this conversation, really resonates that, you know, with what we've done on a destructive level, that, you know, it is good to review alternatives when things like this could present themselves much faster than they could have before. So let's let's not let's say um, right now because I get this question all the time. Where are you going to put your money? So so in all of the things that you could put your money, where would you put your money right now? And Bitcoin would be one of them for you. Mm -hmm. If you think if you think about kind of the go forward path, so we have a secular trend that's going to be deflationary. I think forever uh, coming out of uh, technology. And against that, we have monetary policy trying to stop it. And and if monetary policy can't stop it right now, then um, then you're going to then then effectively, if if governments stop printing, you're going to have a, 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 a depression and mm -hmm. a long depression while the world resets. And in that world, cash is king. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin actually probably doesn't do really well in that. The, the U.S. dollar regains strength because they actually do um, do what should, should they sh they should do, mm -hmm. and they and, and in that world, you cash is king, and you pick up assets at pennies on the dollar, and you create your, uh, your all your wealth. Mm -hmm. The other side of that coin, but but then you then assign probabilities. Do does anybody believe that's going to happen? Mm -hmm. right? Does anybody believe that the, the central banks of the world aren't going to keep printing? Mm -hmm. I don't. Right. <laughs> so, so, um, so, and why they're printing is say, they'll tell, well, we can't have a depression. Right. right? Um, at, at all costs, uh, we're going to avoid a at all costs as a divide of society. So, mm -hmm. okay, but we're not, we're not going to have a depression. So effectively I'm going to inflate your currency away. Right. right. And the, in that world, you, if you have cash, you get destroyed. You lose all your value. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and, and at some point on that, and, and, and potentially if you buy a different asset with that cash, like real estate, the government comes in and the, you know, they have to charge way more taxes to be able to pay for the debt that's being created. So if you have real estate and then the taxes go way up, then the real estate has to go down. Right to mm -hmm. to offset that. So where do you where do do you put kind of safe haven money right now? When in in a world where currency is being destroyed, right. I mean Bitcoin becomes a pretty logical um, spot to put it out of that uh, out of that happening. I agree. 
And just for anyone who's listening to this, because we'll post this in a few days, uh, if you missed Jerome Powell on 60 Minutes over the weekend, basically said he can print as much as they need to digitally, he said. Um, you know, I don't know if that was an omission, but, you know, basically alluded to the same fact that Jeff is saying is that they will keep doing what they have to do. And uh, so this is not kind of fanciful thinking. This is something that... Uh, the head of the Federal Reserve has basically said publicly. So what a time, Jeff, what a time. What we'd like to do um, as we wrap up on the show is get a little bit into your personal world. And two things that we like to do is find out what you're reading, if anything new, any books that you've read that kind of resonate with you. Hopefully you have some time to do that these days. And any music that you like. Um. So books, I, I read about 50 books a year. Uh, current ones that I'm reading right now, A Guide to the Good Life um, and Thinking in Systems. Mm. And uh, what uh, and, and, and music, I, I play guitar, so, so I'm pretty eclectic. Anything from country to rock, actually almost any genre um, wow. of music, yeah. That's great. And what we also like to do is you alluded to your website. If you want to just drop that again to people, if they are, you know, obviously interested in getting in touch, but also I imagine there's links to your book. So uh, feel free to drop people a note where they can do that now. Sure. Uh, my website is jeffreybooth.com, but you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Booth. Awesome. Jeff, a pleasure. Thank you for the insights into the last two plus decades of your experience and how things are kind of ramping up in this world that we're living in today. Hopefully we can have you back on in a few months and catch up again. This was Jeff Booth. Go check out his book. We'll have the liner in the uh, the show notes and uh, we'll be seeing you soon. Thank you, Jeff. Awesome. Thanks, David. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash baselayer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space in the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.